Before I open God's word, would you join me in a short prayer? Lord Jesus, you do reign. And we pray, I pray, that as I preach you now, that you will reveal yourself as King and as Lord in all of your power and your glory and your beauty. Amen. So Lindsay shared that we're, we're turning a corner or we're moving on in the Psalms. So if, you've, if you're visiting this morning, we've, we've been probably about two months, we've been uh, worshiping and praying our way through the Psalms along with this, the life of King David who wrote about half the Psalms. And we've been learning about a life of worship and prayer. And last week, Pastor Gina preached on Psalm 18, which corresponded with the last episode in David's life. And you might have said to yourself, now that's really interesting it's Psalm, there's 150 psalms, and that was 18, and it was the last episode in his life. And actually, the week before, Pastor Dave preached on Psalm 3, the third psalm, and it was the second last episode in David's life. And so that might have been your first kind of clue that they're not arranged in terms of chronological order, that there's another arranging. I'm going to talk about that in a minute this morning, um, because we're going to turn a corner, and what we're going to do is we're going to see that these psalms, they have a continual forward-looking thrust. They have a sort of a built-in expectation that they're looking, they're longing, the people who are praying for them are longing for something and for someone that hasn't yet come. And we know that that someone is Jesus Christ. So I'm not giving away any surprises here. But what we want to do the next four to five weeks, and I'm just going to tell you right now, so you can, we can all sort of join together, is what Lindsay said. See and savor. Now, when I think of savoring, I think of the Thanksgiving meal that my mother and father-in-law cooked on Thursday. And when you get a meal like that, you don't rush through it. You, you take it in and you chew it slow and you just enjoy every bite of that goodness, right? When something's good, you savor it. Jesus Christ is meant to be worshipped, loved, but also to be savored, treasured. And so we're going to spend five weeks just savoring the goodness, the greatness, the beauty of Jesus Christ as the Psalms point us forward to him, as the Psalms open up, who is he? Because people, when Jesus came, died, rose, and was ascended, and the church was left saying, what just happened and who exactly is Jesus, they looked back to the Old Testament to help explain who Jesus was. He didn't come in a vacuum. God did not become human in a vacuum. He'd been working and preparing a people and the world for his son. And you know, when the church looked back at the Old Testament to understand Jesus, what was the book that they quoted the most in the New Testament? Anybody have a guess? Yell it out. Psalms. Psalms. Not the prophets. You'd think it might be the prophets that all prophesied Jesus. Psalms. If you Google the list of the top ten books quoted, Old Testament books quoted in the New Testament, Psalms is number one with 68 references. By the time you get down to number five, it's half the amount. 
68 times the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament. Guess which Psalm is quoted the most in the New Testament? Not 23. Not all our favorites. It's not Psalm 100, worship the Lord with gladness. It's not Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. It's Psalm 2 that I'm going to preach on this morning. 18 times this Psalm is quoted in the New Testament. 18 times. One verse, four times. So when the church looked back and said, what has God just done on earth among us? This is where they looked. This book and this psalm in particular is where they looked. And so I'm going to preach Psalm 2 this morning. We're going to look at Jesus through it, but I'm actually going to read 1 and 2. And here's why. Because 1 and 2 together form a double doorway an entry into the book of Psalms, the prayer book of God's people. What I mean is this. I said earlier, they're not chronologically arranged. They're theologically arranged. There's a story that the Psalms follow. And they start by saying, if you're going to come and join this community, if you're going to enter the prayer book of God's people and pray with God's people, this is the door you're going through. So I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, but let's turn now, and I'm going to read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. What what page is it on? Somebody got it? 840, okay. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The law means um, not just like legal law, but like the way, the way of the Lord. Torah means way. Who meditates on his law or his way day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And then Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire, or why do they rage, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles the one enthroned in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying i've installed my king on zion my holy mountain i will proclaim the lord's decree he said to me You are my son. Today I have begotten you or become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break or rule them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve or worship the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he may be angry, and your way, your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God's word. Okay. Who's had this experience? I bet everybody in this room has had this experience at least once. Some of you too many times. You're trying to tell somebody something that you know is going to be really, really helpful to to them. Maybe it's your friend at school. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. You're trying to tell somebody something that would be really, really helpful to them if they would listen. And they're going, ah, don't tell me what to do. You just, I, I'll, I'm just going to do it my way. You know, I'll, I, don't tell, just, would you just leave me alone? They're kind of, you know, and, and you know that you're right. And you love them. And you want them to listen to you because if they would listen to you, it would go well for them. And they're going, oh, just stop trying to tell me what to do. I see some smiles. There's a few of you that have maybe had this happen to you. Maybe they're not so like, but maybe they just tell you where to put it or, you know, they're just, I don't want to hear it. Well, that can be anything from funny to absolutely agonizing, right? Okay. There's a little bit of that going on in the text this morning. Here's how I want to um, launch us into that. When in the Bible, it's really important how something starts and how something ends. That says a lot about what's in the middle. And I want to show you this double doorway, how it starts and how it ends. Blessed and blessed. So Psalm 1 says, what does it say? Blessed is the one who doesn't do these things, but who's delights in the way of the Lord and who meditates on that way. And Psalm 2 ends with blessed are all who take refuge in the him, meaning the son. Now, who knows what Pastor Dave has said about five times over the last seven years. What does the word blessed mean? When scripture says blessed, I want to hear an answer if you remember. If you don't remember, we got to start having pop quizzes. What, is, what does blessed mean? Yeah, do you remember that? I did not set him up. That's my son, if you're wondering. Yeah. Okay, you got half of it. He said, oh, the deep joy of. Oh, the deep, deep joy and satisfaction of the one who. Jesus is not the answer here. Jesus is the answer much of the time, but he's not the answer here. Okay, get this. It's about happiness. Oh, the deep, deep joy and delight or satisfaction of the one who does this. Oh, the deep, deep joy and delight of the person who lines up with God's way and says, I want to know your way 
creator God. I want to, I want to know you. I'm going to meditate on your ways. I'm going to seek your face. I am going to, and that person prospers. Whatever they do, it's blessed. And then it ends by saying, oh, the deep, deep joy of the one who takes refuge in the Son, Jesus. Now, Scripture says, that's where joy is. You want happiness. Mick Jagger says, I can't find no satisfaction. The Scripture says, it's right here. There's a way that leads to joy and peace. There's a way that leads to flourishing and happiness. And it's right here in the Creator God. But it's not the only way. There's another way, and that's a, a way of flipping off God and his, his ways and his will. And Scripture calls it wickedness. It calls it rebellion. It calls it many things. But it says in Psalm 1 that there's two ways. And if Psalm 1 were the only entry into the Psalms, and if Psalm 1 were the end of the story, we would just say, well, there's two ways. And we could, you know, some people might just say, Hey, I don't want to line up with God and his ways. And um, the rest of us are saying, I do. If that's the way that's joyful and blessed, I do. But that's not the end of the story. There aren't just these two ways sort of parallel to each other because Psalm 2 tells us there's a problem. There's a big problem. What's the problem? The problem is that those who aren't lining up with God's way are not just kind of walking their own way and leaving God's people alone, it says the nations rage, they conspire, they rise up against God, the Lord and his anointed. What is that word anointed? Messiah. Saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. The, the, those are English words that are trying to translate harder words that are fetters and bonds. What are fetters and bonds? When, when, when this is an agricultural picture, when they would have an ox that they would put, they would put a yoke on that ox, the fetter and the bond would hold the yoke in place. And so the picture that's happening here is that you've got, um, you've got the people to understand what this means to us. We have to understand first what it meant to Israel. Okay. So you've got the nations around Israel rising up against them and saying, stop yoking us with something. Stop putting something on us that we don't want to wear. And so what's the thing that's being put on them? What's the yoke? When Jesus came and he said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and in me you'll find rest for your souls. Yoke, we said, was set of teachings. So the nations are saying, don't put your teachings on us. Don't tell us how to live. We don't want your yoke. What's the yoke that Israel's putting on them? What's the yoke that that God gave Israel? Worship and serve the Lord your God only. There is one God. His name is Yahweh. I am who I am. And you will worship and serve him only. And the kings of the earth are, and, 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 uh, and the Lord says, I, I have, I am the creator God, and these are my people, and this is my king, he's my representative. And the nations are saying, we don't want him. Don't put that yoke on us, we want to worship Baal and Molech and Ashtoreth, we want to live life our own way. Don't, don't yoke us, don't tell us that there's only one God, don't tell me how to live. And 
they aren't just saying that. They're actually rising up. They're going to mount war against God's people. They're saying, hey, if you're saying that, we don't want, we don't want to hear it. We're going to rise up against you. Now, to us, that's just words. But to Israel, that's armies encamped around them setting out to exterminate them. It's a little bit more intimidating when you're surrounded. And so, what's their response? And first of all, what's God's response? Is God intimidated? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Somebody has said, there's an immense amount of comfort in God laughing. He's not giggling. He's not chuckling. He's laughing. text okay God's laughing why is he laughing Isaiah 40 says the nations are like a drop in a bucket before the Lord Isaiah 40 says he measures the oceans in his hand he laughs at human arrogance that would rise up against him. But then it says he scorns them. And he terrifies them in his wrath. And he rebukes them. And he says, I have installed my king on Zion. That's another word for Jerusalem. My holy hill. I have installed my king. And then the passage turns a little bit. And the voice that we hear next is not God's, but it's actually the voice of this king who says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. Well, now we're used to a gentle Jesus, aren't we? A loving Jesus. And what is this ruling and dashing? In Egypt, when the king was about to go to war, what he would do is he would have his servants set up pot jars, clay jars, and they would literally write the names of the enemies that they were going to war against on the jars. And the king would take a rod of iron and he would smash the jars as a symbol of the destruction of his enemies that was coming. So the statement that God is making and that the psalmists are making first, we'll get to us, first is there is a king in Jerusalem. There is a king over God's people who would be a son of God and who would extend the reign or the kingdom of God literally, not figuratively, literally on earth to the ends of the earth, that the nations would become his possession. So all the nations are rising up against Israel, and they're this puny little people, and God's saying, my king, my son, will, will 
extend my reign to the ends of the earth, and he will destroy his enemies. He will break the resistance of those who rise up against him. Well, it didn't happen. David died, and David's descendants died, and soon on and soon on, the people of Israel began to realize that that it, it hadn't happened in David's descendants, and so there, there came this expectation, which is why this psalm got placed at the beginning of the psalms. Because they, they be, more and more began to grow to anticipate that someone would come who would represent God, who would be a son, who would establish God's reign and rule over the nations. And lo and behold, along comes Jesus Christ announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news. Now notice this. He didn't first come announcing the good news of salvation. He came announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And he moved in the authority of God over death, over disease, over demonic spirits. He established the kingdom of God. People listened to him teach and they said, whoa, here's one with authority. Jesus came as a king who also said, God is my father. I'm his son. And, you know, well, we'll just summarize this story real shortly. Uh, His disciples and everybody thought he was going to be a worldly king. Didn't happen. Wasn't a worldly king. They got disenfranchised. They crucified him as the king of the Jews. He was buried, risen from the dead, and ascended, what does scripture say, to the right hand of God the Father, whereby he reigns. Now, when the church is going, what just happened again, and who is Jesus, this is what Peter says to the church on Pentecost morning, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the church is cut to the heart, and they're repenting, Peter says, Acts 2.36, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ in translation both God and Messiah the church is beginning to understand that Jesus Christ was the coming king who would reign who would extend God's reign over the earth. And so when Paul begins to write letters to the church, listen to some of the things that he writes. Romans 9.5 From them, the Jews, is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is, right now, God over all, forever praised. Ephesians 1, verse 20 God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Did you catch that? Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25. Then the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father 
after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign, present tense, he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Revelation 11:15 The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever Let me read one more passage from Revelation 19 This talks about the return of Jesus as king. I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Listen to this. He will rule them with an iron scepter. That's Psalm 2. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't think we understand kingship very well. And I don't think we understand it because, to the best of my knowledge, everybody in this room has grown up in a democratic society. When, when we want to choose a ruler, we vote. We express our opinion. If you don't like somebody, you don't vote for him. If you don't like somebody, you actually can speak against him. You can tell other people why they should not be in charge and entrusted with responsibility. This is not a bad system. This is a good system for governing our country. But this is not the way the world is governed. So we don't understand what it's like to live under a king or a dictator. When a king or a dictator rules, you don't challenge their rule. You don't. Because where somebody starts speaking against or challenging the rule, if the king hears about it, the king goes out, and what do they do? Put it down. They put it down. Sometimes, I think that we Christians in the West we treat Jesus Christ in ways that are not consistent with who he is as king of kings, lord of lords, rightful ruler of this world right now. I think sometimes we treat him like a teddy bear. Something that is 
comfortable and comforting and cozy and that we can cuddle up to. Oh, he is the comforter. But he's not only comforter. Sometimes I feel like we treat him like Santa Claus, like a, a, a fairy taleish mythical figure that, you know, he's going to come back at the end of the time and we believe that and that's sort of way off there. Um, but he's risen and reigning as the rightful ruler of this world right now. And so the writer of the psalm, a, a tiny, again, a tiny community of people in the heart of a world that doesn't want to hear it, the writer of the psalm can say, therefore, you kings, you people out there who think you have all kinds of power and do physically, You kings, who probably aren't even listening to me, who probably aren't even reading this, but he can say, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, you people who've been granted temporary authority or power, be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve, or the word means worship, the Lord with fear. And celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun. Or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. What does that kiss mean? Um, That is a symbol of submission. In the ancient world when you would kiss a ruler, that would be, there were different ways to do it, but that would be a way of saying, I am in complete submission to you. You are, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my... And so the, the writer of the psalm says to all them big nations out there, you people, kiss the sun. You people who think you're powerful and strong and who are arrogant, you people, get your life in alignment, in submission underneath God's Son, who's the rightful ruler of this world. Serve Him with fear and trembling. Have you ever trembled before the Lord? Have you? He is loving. And next week we are going to see and savor the suffering love of Jesus. He is all-consuming love. But He is holy and powerful. He's God. Have you ever trembled before God? Have you ever seen, has He given you revelation of who He is? That your life, that you would get before Him on the ground, on your face, And say, God, bring every aspect of my life in alignment with you and with your son Jesus. Bring my speech and the way I use my tongue into alignment with you. 
Bring my heart and the things I think and feel into alignment with you. Bring my priorities and the ways I spend my money and my time. God, you are holy. You are awesome. God, I'm not seeing it or I'm not feeling it, but your word says it and I believe it. Give me revelation. Every person in the scriptures from the beginning to the end who got some glimpse of God, got on their face and said, I am not worthy. Oh God, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God comes with grace to touch. But first, there has to be a seeing. He is king. He's king. And in his kingdom, there is not one square inch space of room for apathy. None. The only response to the kingship of Jesus Christ is kiss the Son. Kiss Him. Worship Him. Submit to Him. But worship, serve the Lord with fear and trembling. This is why the New Testament says, never be lacking in spiritual zeal. Paul, Romans 12, never. Don't stop seeing and savoring the worthiness of God. What kind of a God is he who would give himself unto death to come rescue us? Worship. 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 So deserving. Never be lacking in spiritual zeal. Worship and serve the king with fear and trembling. And this. Be emboldened. Be encouraged. That when people rise up against you at school and they say, don't tell me. Don't tell me Jesus is God. Don't tell me he's the only way to live. Don't tell me what I can do with my body. When they rise up against you at work and they say, don't tell me, but I don't want to talk about that. You Christians, you're so arrogant and narrow-minded. Be emboldened. Be strengthened by the Lord. Because the day is coming. When he returns, he is coming in a way that he did not come the first time. He is coming in power. He came small. And he's not coming small. The Bible says the clouds will be rolled back and he will be revealed and all the world will see his glory. And at that moment, every heart will be revealed. Everything that's hidden will be made known. Nothing will be hidden from his sight. If you've got something hidden now, bring it out. Because it won't be hidden then and you don't want it to come out then. You want it to come out now. Worship the Lord with fear and trembling. But when he comes back, we don't want any regrets. We want to be able to, to get on our face, on our knees before him. We want to be able to rejoice and, and worship then as the psalmist is calling us to now. Worship the Lord. Come now is the time to worship him. You can, I am not, I want to say this to you. Um, there is a way to use your voice that, um, that, that tries to move people along. And I'm not trying to do that this morning. I am filled. The, all week long I have been in worship before the Lord. 
in this passage and in Revelations, and it's my prayer that, the, that, the, that awe of God will fall on us in this place, that we will just be given glimpses of the glory of God, that he would set us on fire, that he would pour out the same fire that he poured out at Pentecost. It's the fire of God that sends us out as evangelistic witnesses that emboldens us to say, Jesus is Lord. The Son is Lord of the world right now. And I care enough to tell you. But you can't, you can't make yourself do that. You can't force yourself to do that. You first have to see Him as Lord. You've got to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. You've got to be filled with worship yourself. Be filled. And so I'm, I'm speaking to you, longing for that, that same awe and zeal to consume all of us, but from the overflow of what I've experienced in this text before the Lord. And so I, wanna, I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you right now, but I want to call you to respond with all your heart. We're going to sing a song that we normally sing at the beginning of a worship service called Come, Now is the Time to Worship. Now is the time to give your heart. And however God's meeting you, I call you to respond to him. And now is the time to worship. Let's, let's sing. Worship team, would you come forward and lead us? And um, Pastor Gina, if there's any way you want to tack on here with what God's saying, you, you help yourself. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I just can't help but just remind us of how you um, told us that this double entry, this double gateway is blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked and blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so, church family, as we take refuge in the King of kings and Lord of lords, um, we are in a safe place. We're in a place of his delight and his holiness. And so um, let's, let's stand. It's time to worship.